gives it to Wall. Working against Bradley for three. John Wall! What a shot! Three balls, two strikes, the pitch. Swing and a long drive! Bledsoe back to pass, steps up, going deep, caught ball! T.O. is leveled by Sean Taylor, and he's slow getting up. There's going to be a run back from 9 deep for Jacoby Jones, and look at him go! Jones is past the 50, and he is flying! Inside the 20, and a kickoff return, 109 yards and a touchdown, an all-time record! Holding inbounds to Nicholas. Four seconds, three seconds, he's across midcourt. Two seconds, one second, throws it up. Money. And he got it! And the Terrapins win on the shot by Nicholas at the buzzer! Hoyes win! Hoyes win! Hoyes win! Hoyes win! Hoyes win! Puck in front, Connolly with a chance! And they score! They score! The puck on a rebound for Lars Eller! And as the puck drops, the words that DC fans have been waiting to hear since 1974, the Washington Capitals are the 2018 Stanley Cup champions. Hey, what's up, everyone, and welcome to the DMV Dispute. I'm your host, Jeremy John, and you can follow me on Twitter at JSquared021. And I am joined today by my boys, Darren and Gerard. Darren, Gerard, how's everything going with you all? Good, good. Everything's going great, man. Ready to go. All right, Darren, where can everyone find you on Twitter? On Twitter, I am at DBirdHoops, D-B-I-R-D, Oops, watch out for the hot takes. They're coming like a wildfire these days. And what about you, Gerard? You can find me at Roddy KG. That's at R-O-D-B-Y-K-G. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter as well. Please, please, please. It's all for last, people. It's all for last. Don't take it seriously. <laughs> all right y'all as always we are proud to do this podcast for one of the top sports websites in the washington dc metropolitan area and that will be dmvsportsnetwork.com and they can be followed on twitter and instagram at dmv underscore sn they have some great daily content on the website of all things dmv sports whether it be professional sports college sports and high school sports and a lot more so after you listen to this podcast go ahead and check out dmv mvsportsnetwork.com. In addition, please be sure to subscribe to our show wherever podcasts are available. And that includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and SoundCloud. All right, y'all, let's get this show on the road. Yes, the University of Virginia Cavaliers have won the national title, defeating Texas Tech Red Raiders. What was the score, Darren? The score was, 80, was 80, 85-77. 85-77, yep. yep. yep, yep. Um, we're, we're doing this immediately right after the game, so they haven't even announced who the most outstanding player of the game is. But let's start with you, Gerard. Uh, who do you think will end up being the most outstanding player of the game? Of the game, it has to be Devontae Hunter. He really showed up for the Cavaliers after having a very, very quiet tournament the entire month of March going into April. But he showed up. I forgot. I don't have his exact numbers in front of me right now, but I know he has to have close to 30 points 
for the uh, final game of the season, and he showed up in a big way for his team. Last shot down the stretch to tie it up to send it into overtime. That's what you do if you're the best guy on the team, and Devontae Hunter was the best guy on the floor tonight. Yeah, I'm uh I'm definitely going with DeAndre Hunter. He was the guy that uh that stood out to me. Uh yeah, twenty seven points. Um really big, really big down the stretch, especially. Um kid is special. Like, kid is really something special to watch. It was mm, such a good game. Such a good game to watch. Yeah, I mean, and I kept saying Devontae, his name is DeAndre. Uh give him all the prep. Uh, props and credit that he's due, at least by getting his name right. He had a fantastic game. Um, you know, Kyle Guy was the one that really helped them get to this point, not just once, but in multiple different instances and in games. You know, Texas Tech put up a good fight. They showed a lot of resilience. It was a very good game, a much better game than a lot of people thought it was going to be. It's going to be people thought it would be a snooze of a NCAA championship, but they gave them a show, and UVA really, really came out and did everything they had to do to win it. We talked about who needed to step up for the Cavaliers. We said Hunter had to be the guy. He's the best guy on the team, and he had to come out and show that he did through and through in every way, on offense and on defense. So. Do you- do you all think, and let's start with you, Gerard, do you all think this was probably the best one-season turnaround in recent sports history? You know, we, we had UVA lose in the first round to a 16 seed last year in UMBC, and then now they're the national championship. Can you think of any other time in sports where a team has had a catastrophic end to a season and then bounce right back? Um, I mean... It's fresh in our minds, so it's hard to argue against this being the best turnaround um, for the you know for a team to go in the season the way Virginia did to come back and win it. I mean, I'm drawing the blank, but I think the next best uh, team or next best situation will be the Patriots. You know, Tommy Brady coming in and turn around that franchise at the blitz so went down and sending them on a run that we all know how it ends. And, you know, that's the most recent as far as quick turnarounds as I can see. Maybe a conversation for that Cavaliers team losing uh, to the Warriors that first time, the coming back and winning the championship in in seven games. There's a few different examples, but as far as just a complete 180 to a season, losing to a 16 seed and then turning it around and winning it all the very next year or virtually the same team. It's hard to find a, another situation, at least recently, that something like that happened. So it's a very good win for UVA. I'm very excited for. Yeah, that was that was super exciting. I think, you know, some of the only real turnarounds I can think of are those uh those Spurs teams, you know, just sticking with basketball, but looking at the NBA, you know, the the eighty eight, eighty nine Spurs and the eighty nine ninety Spurs, you know, once they uh once they ha- once they picked up uh David Robinson, you know, sticking with the same Spurs team, uh right after they drafted Tim Duncan, went from a twenty win team to a I think uh fifty five, fifty six win team, something like that. Uh but yeah, you know, it's just it, it it's really impressive. And like you said, you know, the Patriots, uh when Tom Brady uh, started playing for them, that was a big turnaround. But I mean as far as as far as college basketball, I can't really think of another really major 
single season turnaround in, in recent history, you know, especially with how college basketball is, you know, it's, yeah. it's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to, hard to judge that. Uh, but yeah, this was like really impressive. And yeah, I agree. It's still kind of like fresh in all of our minds. So maybe once we have like a little bit of a chance to really think about it, it'll be a little bit different. But yeah, this was super impressive, especially since in the first round, you know, I think around halftime or whatnot, it was still looking like the same thing was going to happen to Virginia again this year. So yeah. You know, against, what, who's a Gardner Webb against Gardner Webb? That's right. Yeah, I mean, they uh, like you just said, we, they had that scare, like, oh no, they're gonna do it again. But yep. uh, I was uh, beginning of this tournament before the tournament started. I was very critical of UVA's ability to do well in March. I thought that their style of play, Texas Tech, had it's a very similar style of play um, of being a slow-paced, defensive-minded, and really not aggressive or pushing the ball and try to look for ways to score wouldn't bold well in March, but they had a lot of lucky bounces, a lot of clutch shots. And, you know, they were able to do a lot playing their style of basketball. You know, it's second half. They cranked it up a little bit and really came out and really forced the issue. I think that made all the difference, but very, but they did it their way. Uh, Very, very proud. Yep. Go UVA. Go Cavaliers. Uh, for the UVA, this is their first national title in basketball. And Darren, you brought up a great point about bouncing back almost like instantaneously. Uh, when you brought up about Tim Duncan, how the Spurs were, obviously they were one of the worst teams in the NBA because of the David Robinson injury, but then they draft Tim Duncan in, in the first round. And then that very next season, they win the NBA finals for their first title in in their uh, franchise history. At least in the NBA. Yes, that's true. All right, moving on to the Washington Redskins. There are numerous reports from a lot of the NFL insiders that the Washington Redskins are the front runner for Arizona Arizona Cardinals. Man, I'm fumbling with my words today. (laughs) Arizona Cardinals quarterback Josh Rosen. Let's start with you, Darren. How much would you give up for Josh Rosen in the trade? I I wouldn't give up a lot for him. I mean, okay, I'm going to go back to this. I see this every week, but I'm I'm higher on Case Keenum than most. So I wouldn't give up a whole lot for Josh Rosen unless you're actually planning on, like, packaging a Case Keenum in some sort of the trade. Like, I definitely wouldn't give up, like, a first for him. I don't think he's necessarily worthy about that. Um, maybe, maybe packaging a second or third in there somewhere, but, um, I haven't seen enough from, from Josh Rosen to really be convinced that he's going to be like a total life changer in Washington. So, you know, if the Redskins actually do plunge for him, I would be most comfortable giving up at the very least like a third round pick. I know Washington's got a couple third round picks this year, so I'd be most comfortable with that. If absolutely necessary, like a second rounder or maybe just like a Case Keenum swap. I know there's like some sort of background in there where it's like it would be some sort of good fit if he were to go to Arizona and and go there especially if they do end up drafting like a Kyler Murray for him to just like kind of play behind and and mentor um that would be fine but you know 
I don't want to give up too much for him because I don't think he's worth that much. Definitely don't think he's worth a first round pick. Definitely don't think he's worth like any of our valuable talent. But for sure, you know, if we can get him for a third round pick, maybe like um, another player packaged in there somewhere, uh, that'd be fine too. But I definitely wouldn't give up a whole lot for Josh Rosen because, you know, we're going to need a lot more than Josh Rosen if the Redskins actually want to do anything. And I think there was a report that came out over the weekend or last week or something that said that Washington actually wants to try and win now. You know, they don't see themselves in a rebuild, so to speak. So, you know, if they really want to try to move the needle, it's going to take a lot more than Josh Rosen. And that means not giving up too much of what we have if we want to try and move forward. But, you know, if we have, if we're keeping Case Keenum and Josh Rosen on the roster, then, you know, I definitely wouldn't give up too much for him. But, you know, that's that's kind of where I'm at with it. All right. Um, uh, don't get too excited, Darren, but I'm actually starting to sip a little bit of your Kool-Aid on the whole Case Keenum. <laughs> yes, yes. You're starting to come around, starting to come around finally. Here's where I'm falling after watching some Rosen tape over the weekend and listening to some what the lo- some of the other local uh, podcasts and sports talk and articles I've read are saying about Rosen. And I wouldn't give up a whole much for him. What I'm hearing is our second round pick, our one of our third round picks, you hopefully the 96 overall, which is the later of the two third-round picks, and maybe a conditional uh, six-round pick just to sweeten the pot a little bit for Josh Rosen. Um, I wouldn't mind that. Uh, you know, I'd rather have our second-round pick than not, but I think that Josh Rosen isn't, at least in year one in D.C., going to be leaps and bounds over what you're going to get for get what you're going to get from Case Keenum. Um I think that the potential is is what's really driving it cuz Josh Rosen has the potential to be a franchise guy. Everybody in the league knows what Case Keenum is. He's a journeyman guy, solid starter, better backup. And having him on your team, you feel comfortable that there you have somebody at the quarter position who can win a game if you need to. Not every team can say that. And so if that's be if that's the case, you're happy to have a guy like Keenum on your team. The reason why I'm kind of falling back a little bit on Josh Rosen than I was maybe when the first reports came out. Um, about the potential of Rosen to DC is doing tape, watching tape on him. I'm not that excited about his athletic ability. He seems to have a good eye for the field. He seems to really like to uh, take shots and play that gunslinger um, mentality that I'm sure Gruden loves. But when it comes to my quarterback, I like a little bit more of a calculated killer than just a gunslinger. And Rosen doesn't really have that mentality, at least in my opinion. I think he's more of, oh, man, you just have to go up and get it. I'm excited for you. You're going to have to go up and get it. And I don't want that. And I'm hearing a lot of stuff come out about Rosen that he's a, he has some character flaws where 
he has apparently has a lot going on outside of football, and he's interested in so much that if whatever's happening with football isn't exciting him or isn't driving him and making him excited to go into the facility every day and he's not engaging with his teammates that he kind of gets distracted by what's going on outside of football. And I don't want to give up picks for a guy like that. If that's the case and D- if that's the case about uh Rosen and that holds any kind of water, DC is the worst place for him. Our coaching staff is a mess. Our front office is dysfunctional and cool and just evil. They don't know what they're doing up there, or they do. They just don't care about how anybody else feels about it. This fan base will turn on you because we we expect so much from our team every year, even though we don't produce anything. Arizona's a little bit more of a forgiving place. They don't have much of a football atmosphere. They don't have a history of winning that only was only a generation ago. So still fairly new compared to teams like Detroit and Cleveland who haven't seen anything thing and so it's you know this place might not be the best place for him especially if we can't put a winning team around him now if you're going to gamble on a quarterback this draft and take a and take one of these young guys and have to give up draft picks to take a young quarterback I'd rather you go for a Haskins I'm not really sold on Haskins or any of the quarterbacks in this draft including Kyler Murray I really just think that Haskins has the least amount of bust potential. I think at the very least, what you're going to get out of Haskins is a solid starter who's going to be composed, who has a head for the NFL and for being the face of a franchise, and is a good locker room guy. Can't say that about all the other quarterbacks, and everybody's on this Kyler Murray train now, but... Six weeks ago, everybody was ready to condemn the man because he wasn't sure if he was going to play football or baseball. But now since Arizona's saying they're going to take a number one, he's the clear-cut best quarterback in the draft. And so it's one of those things that's kind of wishy-washy for me. Um, But like you, Darren, I wouldn't give up a whole bunch for Josh Rosen. If I give up, get away with two third or two third round picks this year in a future second, I'll feel better about that than giving up my second round pick this year just because I have so many other needs I have to fill in my roster. That's that's fair. I have I have a quick question for you though. So if if Washington is gonna is gonna give up a player to to um it, let's say if Washington is gonna give up a quarterback because I just I. I if Washington is going to give a, a quarterback to go as compensation, would you rather see them give up Colt McCoy or Case Keenum to get Josh uh, Rosen? I would say I'd rather. I mean, I would answer is I rather would have Case Keenum here, but realistically, who's going to take Colt McCoy for anything? Right. Colt McCoy, like he's a backup who can't stay healthy. I, I mean, like he it makes no sense, and so. Only reason, so yeah. So well, I, 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 ima- I imagine he would be packaged with like a, a draft pick or two. Oh, of course, but, he'd be packaged with a draft yeah. pick. You can't, yeah. You Colt McCoy, just, by, Colt McCoy yeah. by himself is about as valuable as a chicken tender platter at a stadium. <laughs> like he's not, he's not that valuable to a team because. <laughs> 
I don't know. Have you had have you had the chicken tenders at FedEx? They're kind of expensive. Yeah, <laughs> everything's expensive at FedEx. They need to go the way of the Falcons and and uh, charge high school stadium prices, which uh-huh. is an incredible story. But I think that, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, if the Redskins take if the Redskins take a quarterback, whether they trade for Rosen or they draft somebody who they believe can come in and compete for a starting job right away, I don't think McCoy is on this roster at the end of August. I think he gets. The I don't boot. think he should be. I don't think. I don't he think should he should be, be either. Should. I don't should. think he should be either. But Jay Gruden loves Cole McCoy. I'm. I am under firm belief, and I got this. I get the belief and confidence of this statement from lots of reports that corroborate it and saying that if it was up to Jay Gruden, he would have not traded for Case Keenum. He would not even consider drafting quarterback this this, uh, draft. He'd go into 2019 with Colt McCoy as his starter and be 100% content. And that right there is all I need to know about Jay Gruden. Which is why Jay Jay Gruden needs to go. And I will say this, if they are, if they do end up uh, releasing Colt McCoy, then they do either need to draft a quarterback, even a developmental project, or uh, pull off a Josh Rosen trade to have both Case Keenum and Josh Rosen on the roster. Because, I mean, who, who else are we going to have? Case Keenum and what Josh Johnson? Are we going to have Mark I'll Sanchez? Be, I'll be, I'll be fine. I would be fine with a Case Keenum-Josh Johnson quarterback duo. I honestly would. Josh Johnson proved enough in those last few games last year that if I needed somebody to fill in, I'm fine with him being the guy to fill in. I don't need to bring in somebody else or have to bank on a fifth round draft pick out of out of wherever to be our uh, quarterback if something happens to Keenum. Okay, that's that's a conversation for another day because we we yeah. disagree there, but that's a conversation for another day. So All just right. real just real quick, Darren, what would you? I know you said you like Keenum actually, uh, but what if for the for the sake of the conversation, what would you give up if you're the GM of the Washington Redskins to get Josh Rosen? Two thirds, uh, two thirds, maybe. If if they if they would take a Colt McCoy, Colt McCoy, but uh, two thirds, yeah, I know they, I know they wouldn't, but. Two thirds, maybe, maybe like Gerard said, maybe a future second, but certainly I wouldn't give up this year's second. Um, yeah, two thirds or a third and another player um, at another position. I'm not sure who I'd probably give up, but ideally, just just draft picks. You know, I wouldn't shed any players. Certainly not Case Keenum. Um, now that's yeah. one thing I would trade Case Keenum if I could get. Really? If I could get Josh Rosen for... If you could get Josh Rosen for Case Keenum, if that was the thing, you would trade Case Keenum for Josh Rosen. If I could get Josh Rosen for Case Keenum a third and a sixth with a conditional pick for next year, I would do that. I would, really? I would, I would take that because I'm, I'm comfortable with Josh Rosen going in. If I could get Josh Rosen and still have my first three picks of the draft, I'll take that in a heartbeat. But if I have to give up, if I have to to get Josh Rosen, if I have to give up my second and one of my thirds, I wouldn't want it. I, that's too that's too steep for me. But yeah. just a third Keenum and another and another pick to wrap it all up, yes, I'll take that in a heartbeat. 
easily. And so that way I can still draft I can still draft a a linebacker or DN or DB and a weapon for Rosen to throw to um all before the all before the third round. So yeah, I'll take that. All right. Before we continue, it's time to tell you about DMV Sports Network's library of podcasts. Even though we believe we're the best podcast of DMV Sports Network, there's still other podcasts you need to listen to that are really good. Uh, We have nine active shows, including team shows for the Redskins, Capitals, Nationals, Wizards, and Ravens. There's Fantasy Football, which is dealing with all things Fantasy Fever, excuse me, which is dealing with all things fantasy football and a pair of mixed bag shows from it's about time DC and Dom and thunder. All these shows are available wherever podcasts can be found. So please check these shows out. And if you like any of them, please leave a review or even subscribe to them. Now, who would have thought that this topic would have been the third topic of this episode, but the Washington wizards and Ted Leonsis specifically Fired general manager Ernie Grunfeld. First of all, let's start with you, Gerard. How happy are you that this happened? Man, I am so excited that this happened. I am ecstatic that this happened. I never want to feel I never it's not about Ernie Grunfeld losing his job. I would never be excited for another person's loss or downfall. But it has to happen. 16 years far too many chances to go in a new direction that could have been taken. I'm just happy it happened now. I just really, really, really am happy that it happened. God, I'm so excited. All right. What about about you, Darren? Ooh, I am ecstatic. So I was, I was the gym when, when the news broke, I, I took a, I took a quick break, having to check my phone. And then I saw that Ernie Grunfeld was fired, man. I must've done like three backflips right there in the middle of everybody. I was like, I couldn't believe it at first. I thought I was being punked or something. Cause you know, it was the day after April fool's day. So I thought it was like a, <laughs> I thought it was like a fake April fool's thing, something like that, but it wasn't, it was real. And then they reported it. So I did backflips, but you know, after, you know, after the initial, Initial excitement wore off, you know, I was like, okay, you know, I was like, you know, he did a couple of good things. He gave us John Wall and, and Bradley Beal. And that's fine. But for every, for every, for every, for every, for every one good decision that Ernie might've made, there were like 10 bad decisions, which is why it's like completely justified. And he needed to be gone. In my opinion, he overstayed his welcome. You know, he was here several seasons too long you can say oh you know he was like 500 in terms of the Wizards making the playoffs but you know I don't really I don't necessarily put that on Ernie Grunfeld I think just I put that on the talent and whatnot so you know we made the playoffs in eight of his 16 seasons but you know I just I it was time to go and we've been calling for his job and you know I don't take pleasure like you said I don't take pleasure necessarily in someone losing their job but I love my franchise, and it was time for Ernie to go. Long since time for Ernie to go. So, so Gerard, if you are the new GM, what's the first move you're making? All right, well, we got one more game against Boston to get through, um, but I want to say my first, my first, the very first thing I'm doing as the new GM, I'm sitting down with Scott Brooks, sitting down with Scott Brooks, and telling him, okay, actually. I'm going to already go back and change my answer. 
10 seconds in, the very first thing I'm going to do is sit down with John Wall and Brad Bill. That is the very first thing I'm going to do because no matter who the coach is, those two are the guys that are the faces and the cornerstones of this franchise. Without them, we have nothing. We are in a complete 100% reboot mode. And I sit down with them and tell them as the faces, as the leaders of this organization, the gas line against this Wizards car going, what do you want and need to see happen in order to feel like that in order to put the Wizards in the best position to win and win now because they're closer to 30 every single year, especially John Wall. And so I really, really would sit down with them and say, okay, John, Brad, what do you guys want? How do you feel about Scott Brooks? How do you feel about the training staff? How do you feel about certain teammates? How do you feel about guys that are free agents? What do you, what would you want to see happen? And just have an open and honest communication with them. That would be my first move. Okay. Uh, interesting. I I like where you're going with that, and I don't disagree with that. I'm thinking, even, even before that, I'm thinking the first move is uh, – I'm looking at I'm looking at the draft. I'm looking at who we're going to draft. I'm prepping for the draft picks. I'm just I'm figuring out what kind of talent is out there. So hopefully as as a as a GM, I'm pretty good at talent evaluation. You know, I'm pretty good at figuring out who the Wizards need because a lot of times especially when it comes to lottery picks, when it comes to high draft picks, it's not even necessarily about drafting a position that you need. It's about drafting the best player regardless of position. So whether that's a Zion, whether that's an RJ Barrett, you know, whether it's a John Morant, if it's somebody like that, I'm looking at the draft, I'm figuring out what what this team needs and who the best players that can help this team win are. And I think going along with what you said, uh, it, I think you do bring, I think you do bring John Wall and Bradley Beal into that conversation. Like, like, what do you guys see? You know, what, what's on your mind? What do you think this team needs? Cause I think the biggest thing is looking at our roster construction and what the Wizards' biggest needs are to fit around John Wall and Bradley Beal. And I think, honestly, you go to Bradley Beal first because there's a very good chance that John Wall doesn't even play next year at all. And if he does, it would probably, it's probably very late into the season. It's somebody, I think someone said the earliest projection was like late January. I'm thinking, if anything, it's going to be late February, early March, the absolute earliest if he comes back. And even then, I think it's more of like a Paul George and, uh, 2015 situation where mm-hmm. they they just they just get him they just get him a few games towards the end of the season just to see what his basket just to get some basketball legs underneath him you know maybe he comes off the bench etc. But I think you look at who they need around them and that starts the draft honestly and then you start looking at you know who we resign who's going to be a target in free agency etc. So that's that's where I'm at. Um, so I think that Brooks is kind of like he's kind of because when you started to say scott brooks i was ready to like disagree with you and be like that's kind of one of my later priorities but then you changed it because i think that after you figure out what the roster is going to be like after that then you go to scott brooks and you're like look you know ted's probably not going to want us to fire you because you know that's just that's just dead money that that you still have to pay out so honestly scott brooks's job is most likely safe simply for the fact that it costs too much to fire him now than to just hire a new head coach uh 
but I do say I do say that Scott Brooks' seat is going to be very hot going into next season. So I'm not surprised if he's a mid-season firing, especially if the Wizards underperform. Or I'd say he's probably out. If the Wizards miss the playoffs again, he's probably out right off the bat as soon as the season ends, um, even with another season on his contract, because you know he has been disappointing as a head coach. But after you've got the roster construction, then you start trying to figure out where to go from there as far as Scott Brooks goes. I I disagree with the whole Scott Brooks of it all. I would be extreme, not extremely surprised, but I'd be very, very surprised surprised if Scott Brooks comes back to coach at all next season. I'd be very surprised whoever they pick to be the next GM or team president or whoever elects to keep Brooks. I, I don't see it happening. Um, and you're saying a reason because, you know, Ted's going to say, oh, that's dead money um, that you can't get back uh, and all that good stuff. But GM's argument is, well, I plan on making the playoffs, so we'll make that money back when we, on the uh, just in the first series alone of playoff revenue. And so I don't. I don't see Scott Brooks staying simply because if you bring in a new GM, most GMs or team presidents, no matter what the sport is, they want their own guy. It's rare right. that a guy comes in and the whoever the head coach or coach staff that's there automatically mesh and get on the same page right away or come in on the same page. And so Scott Brooks, had, Scott Brooks hasn't had any success here. And honestly, they're going to go to, uh, you know, the injury to John Wall the past couple of seasons really set us back. We weren't able to do what we wanted to do. And I call BS on that because look at the playoff picture right now. The Pacers, the Heat, the Pistons, the Magic, and the Hornets are all contending for a playoff spot or already solidified a playoff spot. And even minus John Wall, I strongly believe the Wizards are as good, if not better, than all of those teams. Yeah, the Nets secured a playoff spot. That's what I and that's what I'm saying. I don't you give me you put uh D Lo on this Wizards team and take Bradley Beal and put him on the Nets. Let's just say we switch those two guys. The Wizards go, I'll say, they, we lose 10 less games than we did, that we're, that we're going to this year. Honestly, because I think that D'Lo is still developing a little bit. I think Bradley Beal starting to hit his stride a little bit more. He's having a really great season, a historic season. And I think the, I think the only difference has to be coaching because – I don't care if – I think the team to really look to is Indiana. Indiana is very similar to us in the sense that they went into the season, high expectations, ready to go, and they had a star that was ready to really come out and do a lot. But Depot went down. Well, Depot went down, done for the season, but they didn't slow down. They kept going. They kept winning. And I'm so sorry uh, Oladipo-less Pacers is not as talented as 
a Bradley Beal-led Wizards team. It's just not. I don't care if you're talking before the Otto Porter trade or afterwards. They're not. But they have better coaching, and that's where it shows. I think Scott Brooks, nice enough guy, players seem to like him, and all that good jazz, but he's terrible at the X's and O's. He can't figure out a rotation to save his life, and he doesn't know when to get players in for development or when to send them down to the G League. And so I think he's gone. I don't see, he, I don't see him staying here at all. Okay. That's that's a fair point. I just kind of disagree, but that's that's a fair point. I can see where you're coming from. So. All, right. All right, let's move on now to the Capitals. They will be facing the Carolina Hurricanes in the first round of the Stanley Cup Finals. Let's start with you, Darren. Outside of the obvious, like Alexander Ovechkin and Brayden Holpe, which Caps player needs to step up to make sure that the Capitals get past the Hurricanes? Uh, so I've got kind of a couple here. I think we've got some some obvious ones. I think, you know, Nicholas Backstrom and, you know, TJ Oshie, I think they definitely need to step up. Um, one guy that I'm keeping my eye on though is, uh, Nick Jensen on, on defense. You know, he's, he's one of the, the true rookies that's, uh, that's in, that's in this lineup and really playing in the, really playing in the, in his playoffs for the first time. So, you know, I'm looking at him on defense because, you know, first of all, you know, me, defense wins championships. That's what I've always been about. Uh, and especially since, you know, since Kempney's out for the season and basically he's filling that, that role, you know, I think I want to see if Nick Jensen can, can, uh, face the pressure and see if he's ready to really contribute. I know that, uh, in the developmental league, he's, he's had playoff games, but it's really not the same as being in a real, uh, playoff game. So he's the guy that I'm actually keeping my eye on. So we know who our, our leaders are, you know, we've, you know, we've got like, uh, like I said, Oshi and, and Backstrom and Hazlin, who we acquired, who were acquired at the, uh, trade deadline. You know, he's been playing really, really well, but, you know, I think it's really going to come down to defense. And, you know, they played, the Capitals played really well against the Hurricanes, uh, in the regular season. But as we all know, you know, the regular season isn't, isn't necessarily indicative of what can happen in the postseason. So honestly, um, He's he's one of the big guys that that I'm looking at to really uh to really try and you know contribute to the playoffs and I think that you know his defense can make a big difference uh in this cuz any any concerns that I had about this team earlier on have been pretty much alleviated so I think we all know the big guys that really need to step up as far as the leaders of this team but let's see what our younger guys can really uh contribute to this team in the postseason when it comes to playoffs for me, no matter what the sport is, a big part of it for me is the physicality. It gets ramped up no matter if it's basketball, football, hockey. It gets ramped up to another level. And the team that can really step up their physicality and their toughness and become a dominant force um, on the both sides, defense on, on both sides of the uh, game, whether it be the defensive side or the offensive side is the team that really stands the best chance to have success or set themselves up to be successful. I think that's why 
I want to go. I like your list. You are. I agree with you 100 on those guys. They we need to see a lot from in this series against the Hurricanes, and we really need to see them step up and really become really jailed really quickly. But a guy I want to really see become that guy for us to help bring the level of toughness that made the Capitals so hard to get out the playoffs last year is Tom Wilson. Tom Wilson, yep. I, I, knew, need, I knew exactly where you're going with that one. I need Tom Wilson to – I need him to be that enforcer. I really, really need him to be that guy that's going to steal fear in the Hurricanes and hopefully every whoever else we play going forward and just make the whoever is on the ice with him – petrified and not want to do anything and get inside their head and get them rattled. Now, he has tendencies, and we've all known to have tendencies of doing a little too much and getting himself suspended and getting himself penalties and all that good stuff, and that's not what we need. But at the same time, we need the level of toughness that Tom Wilson brings to this uh, Capitals team. I think if we get something, if we get good play from him, and he bring, he be able to instill that toughness. And those guys you mentioned takes that next step when the playoffs happen. And Ovi just keeps being Ovi. That I think we, I think the Capitals will be good against uh, the Hurricanes. So that's that's who I think outside of Ovechkin needs to you know step up and be able to not only be that physicality leader, but also be you know headstrong and play with the toughness that can inspire the rest of the team by still playing smart at the same time. All right, let's now move on to the Washington Nationals. Well, first, the Nationals, then we'll get to another team that we haven't really spoken about at all on this podcast. But let's start off with the Nationals. Gerard, right now, how do you think the Washington Nationals are faring in the NL East right now? Um, Got off to a really bad start. You know, 0-2 to start. Wasn't great, and then you know, kind of came out limp against uh, Bryce Harper and the Phillies. I think they're starting to get it together a little bit. Um, the bullpen, I think Darren mentioned it last week. The bullpen is awful, um, and it's that's been a reoccurring theme for years now. I think they're starting to really, really get themselves into some sort of groove. The offense, I want to say, one of the main differences. That the offense has this year, and I think one of our uh, DMV sports uh, DMV sports uh, colleagues mentioned this earlier today that this offense doesn't seem to be dependent on home runs. They get on base a lot, and they really run bases well. And so I think that it's a good foundation. They just got to get. Just figure out a little tweaks, tweak the lineup a little bit, see which batters do best at what position, and figure out the bullpen, whether it be through trades, signings, calling up from uh, minor ball. Something has to be done because this bullpen isn't it. It's not. Plain and simple. It just can't get it done. And so, I was, but up for the most part, I still feel good about the Nats. And they just have to figure out you know, find their groove. But I think this, I think the pieces are are ninety five percent there. You think the pieces are ninety five percent there? I do. Really interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I I uh, I still hate this bullpen, but like you said, that's that's kind of that's kind of uh, 
going to be a consistent issue that we're kind of all used to at this point. Um, so what's, uh, what's going on with, uh, what's going on with Trevor Rosenthal here? What's, what's, what's that all about? Um, I, 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 I don't, I don't know what's going on here. I, I'm, I'm a little disappointed by this team, a little disappointed by their start, but that's, you know, I feel like that's kind of par for the course. Uh, I think they can turn it around. I think we're in agreement in the fact that this is, you know, they can turn it around, they can get better, but I think it's got to happen kind of sooner rather than later because uh, at this point, um, if they if they keep on this path, then, you know, it's just going to be another disappointing season. So I think it's probably going to happen. It's probably going to have to happen with a, a major trade, something going on to sort of shore up the, the, uh, the offense. Um, but I think the Nationals can turn it around. I think they're finally starting to sort of adjust to life without Bryce Harper, uh, which is, which is a good thing. But, you know, it's just, they've got to shore up this bullpen, you know, something's got to happen, either attracting free agents or making a big trade. I'm not sure what it is, but um, I'm not wholly happy, but I think part of it is just being a DC fan. You're just sort of <laughs> numb to it at this point. Yeah. So. <laughs> you, you, get, you get used to the disappointment and mediocrity, which isn't good. Right. It isn't, it isn't good at all. It really isn't, unfortunately. Yeah. But it's all right, you know. Maybe maybe road trip will help things out, you know, as they kind of learn to play with each other. Maybe we'll see a turnaround, and then maybe a few minor tweaks. Uh, I don't think they're as close as as you think they are, but I still think that they can turn it around. So I think we're at least in agreement on that part. Yeah. All right, and then let's move on quickly to the Baltimore Orioles. We actually haven't discussed the Orioles at all in this podcast, and unfortunately, we're going to have to talk about them in a very negative light. Uh, Chris Davis, 0 for 47 start, which breaks a major Ooh. league record for a start to a major league baseball season. Just real quick, have you all seen anything else like this in, in another sport? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good I'm question. Just, I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now, I'm trying to think of something that's as bad as this. Uh, or, or here's here's a good one. Have any of you all been in a situation like this, playing a sport where you were just so bad at this one thing? No, I was never that bad at anything like that. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean. Con- confession i i wasn't a great free throw shooter going up but uh i w- i don't think i was this bad i don't think i missed all my free throw shots so <laughs> but uh okay speaking of free throws brought you back to memory i was uh playing i want to say i was playing travel ball and oh gosh super anti-hero moment uh i we were down like two with like 90 seconds left and i got sent to the foul line went up missed the first one missed the second one on the second one there's a lane violation by the other team i get another try at it shoot it clink it again another lane violation i get a fourth attempt to shoot it clank it one more time oh, Go so you did a, you did a nick anderson you did a nick anderson i was thinking the same thing <laughs> <laughs> you did a Nick Anderson. Going into it, I'm like 88% from the free throw line. I 
I practice free throws all the time, but for whatever reason, I could not hit not one of those free throws. And it was the most embarrassing moment of my entire life. Hands you could, down. So I, you could play for the you could play for the ninety five Knicks so, or the 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 ninety five Magic. Magic. You're good. Yeah, you're yeah. good. Yeah. You're good. You could play for you could play oh, for the Magic. Man. That definitely happened to me in middle school. I missed two free throws with about a minute left in the game. We ended up losing, and from that point on, I started taking free throws very serious. And then after that, now I'm not trying to say I played you know, big time ball. I just kind of played, you know, rec ball and things like that. But from that point on, I made sure that I was going to be a good free throw shooter. But Chris Davis, man, this is a horrible stretch that he's going to. And, you know, I don't like to see people fail, but man, he really needs to get out of this slump. All right, well, that'll do it for us here at DMV Dispute. Hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, subscribe to us wherever podcasts are available. And maybe even leave us a review on iTunes as that would help us grow on the charts and reach more people. You can find us on Twitter. I'm J squared zero two one. Darren, where can people find you on Twitter? D bird hoops. That's D B I R D hoops on Twitter. Just watch out for the hot takes. They're coming like a wildfire. And Jerron. They can find me at Roddy KG. That's at R O D D Y K G. Thanks for listening, guys. Please subscribe. Please review. Yeah, and don't forget to check out dmvsportsnetwork.com. Follow them on Instagram and Twitter at dmv underscore sn. And if you want to join the team, contact them via Twitter and the website, or even shoot them an email at dmvsportsnetwork at outlook.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Peace out, guys. Thanks.